All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 16 of the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for joining us this morning. I'm your host, Julian Gill, and joining me from the board are Ken, who's 69 Blizzard, right? 69th Blizzard. That's right. Daniel, welcome back. It's been a long time. Thank you. And Lonnie, thank you for joining us again. Uh, Today's topic is, you know, we're going to pick up where we left off on an earlier episode where we um, went through the, you know, Kiss Unmasked era of the 1980s. Um, And we're going to jump into the 1990 to 95 show, you know, focus on all things in the period following um, the end of the Hot in the Shade tour, and, and there's a lot of history to try and pack into this show. Um, I guess the most important thing to cover straight off the bat is the passing of Eric Carr. Obviously, he died in 1991 um, as the band were preparing to record the follow-up to Hot in the Shade, and just catch you guys' opinions on, and how you found out and impressions of what happened um, and how it was reported where you were. You know, why don't we start with you, Ken? Um, I think, uh, I don't think I even saw it on MTV. I believe it was, I must have seen it in the news or Entertainment Tonight or one of those other ones, um, that Eric Carr passed. I know Freddie Mercury had passed the same day, so that was the real, you know, big thing, obviously, because he was such a superstar. Um, but I, I can't remember how I heard, but I, I believe it was some other news other than MTV. I know I saw the MTV thing later on, on uh, one of the Kiss videos, but uh, that was the first time. It, it was it was sad. It was kind of shocking, um, you know, because he was such a great drummer, a great guy. And so vibrant. What about you, Lonnie? What do you recall? I remember... This is, I'm so glad I'm on this show because this is like right in my wheelhouse episode. So I remember I was sitting, I, I, I remember this to this day, I was sitting eating lunch in my seventh grade cafeteria and a buddy of mine sat across me, he knew I was a big Kiss fan, and he says, Lonnie, did you hear that Kiss's drummer died? And I was, sh- I, I said, what? I was, I was shocked. And I go, and I, I I was in seventh grade. This is pre-internet. You know, you weren't like, you didn't get like information just instantaneously like you do now. You know, like I, I hardly even, I was in seventh grade. I hardly even, I don't, I don't, I don't even think I knew he was sick. And I didn't, and I asked him, I go, Kiss's drummer died. I go, was it, I, I, I said, was it Peter Chris or was it Eric Carr? I didn't even, I didn't even know. I was like, are you kidding me? And he, and he said, I said, who? He goes, no, I think. I think it was the guy who's in the band now. They were showing it on the news. Who didn't wear the makeup? I was like, Eric Carr died. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And I, I remember seeing it on, on, um, on MTV. I think like on their recap of the news for the week, like they used to do like MTV news, you know, reports on the hour. Then like on Friday or Saturday, like they would like recap the news on MTV. And I remember seeing it on that. Um, and it. It just, it blew my mind, and I didn't, I wondered, well, what are they going to do? Are the, is Kiss going to continue on? Um, 
Are they going to go get a new drummer? Are they going to bring Peter back? It, it was just so, it was just, it, 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 it just blew my mind when he died and it overtook me because I was such a big fan of the band. And it was just awful. Daniel, what about uh, for the European perspective of where you were at the time? Well, we had an M2E as well, so I vividly remember watching that news clips that they included on one of the Kissologists uh, and being, as Lana said, in shock. Uh, I think I cried. Uh, it was such a sad day. Uh, but then in the media in Sweden, it was totally overshadowed by the death of Freddie Mercury, of course. So that was about it. Uh, that re and it wasn't a lot of reports on MTV either. It was, from what I remember, it was that short snippet in the news, and then it wasn't that much more. Uh, in Swedish press, of course, when they um, started recording Revenge, and when Revenge was released in, I think it was it May '92, somewhere yeah. around there, all the uh, articles had something about Eric Carr's death, but. That was quite some time after he died. So for me, it was that uh, news clip, and it was a big shock. And uh, But I never thought they would quit. I just thought they would find someone else. And I was hoping it wouldn't be Peter. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Just shot at Peter from out of nowhere. So let's see, 1992, May 92, I was... Oh, right. No, November 91, obviously he passed away. So I was living in, I was going to the university or Penn State in Scranton. I just moved there from Singapore. So it, in my time in Singapore, rock magazines had kind of fallen off uh, my availability. You know, just couldn't find them easily out there at the time. So I kind of lost track with the band. And I was more affected by Freddie's death. You know, Eric, um, you know, I loved him as Kiss's drummer. But I was listening to a lot of Queen in the late 80s and early 90s. I'd really gotten into Queen with Kind of Magic, The Miracle, um, and Innuendo was out at the time. Um, so I was on a big Queen quick, and it was more of a kind of thing you knew was coming with Freddie because of all the rumors. But Eric, it just came out of left field. It's like he'd been sick. I think I'd read a few articles here and there. Um, I can't remember if I had MTV um, at Penn State. And... You know, so I, I don't remember there being that much coverage, and it was a real bummer, you know. But I was also wondering, well, who are they going to get? Because I, I knew they weren't going to quit. They were going to immediately keep going, and it was, who are they going to get? And who do they pick? Eric Singer, you know. I I think, uh, you know, it was a fantastic choice. Obviously, Paul had a rapport with him from the 89 solo tour he did. Um, but visually, you know, he fit right in with the band by looking different. So he kind of changed up their look a bit. Um what did you guys think of Eric Singer coming in? Did you know him? I mean, I'd had the uh, the Badlands album and loved it um, when that came out, I think in 80, 88, 89. So I, I was at least aware of him. I, th I was aware of him from the, the Black Sabbath or the Tony Iommi uh, solo album, as it should have been. So I, I was aware of him as a drummer. I don't know if I was overly impressed. He, he wasn't someone who jumped out at me like a Nick and McBain would from Iron Maiden being flashy. I hadn't seen much of him. Um, but what were your guys' take when you heard Eric Singer was going to fill that seat? Lonnie? Um, I didn't know um, Eric Singer at all. It was a new name to me. It was a new person to me at the time. You know, as a kid. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know him at all. But he was the right. They couldn't have made a better choice of a drummer moving forward. Um, and obvious, obviously, I mean, he's in the band today. But 
he was he was new to me. I didn't ha- I didn't at the time I didn't know anything about. I mean, I was I was even in May of '93. I was I guess I was in spring of I guess I was still in seventh May of '92 when that came out. I guess I was still in seventh grade when Revenge came out. And you know, I, didn't, I was a kid. I didn't know anything about Badlands or anything about Tony Iommi's solo album, which was called Black Sabbath, <laughs> but. Um, or him playing with Lita Ford or anything. I mean, it wasn't as, as savvy on on that front. But when I got revenge and, you know, hearing those club shows now and, you know, you hear, you know, bootlegs from the revenge tour and Alive 3, he, they made the perfect choice for a replacement for Eric Carr. They couldn't, they couldn't have made a better choice. And I was pleased with it now and, I'm as pleased with it then, I'm just as pleased with it with it now and ongoing. Awesome. Daniel, what was your take on Eric Singer when you first saw the new drummer for Kiss Unveiled? Oh my God, he's blonde. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing. Uh, and before that, it was, uh, I think I mentioned this previously in one of the episodes, but one of my friends at school, he said, oh, don't you know that Kiss's new drummer is a girl? And I, what do you mean? And he had seen the God Gave Rock and Roll to you video when there's a brief clip of a girl drumming. Uh, and it's a clip from, you know, the film called Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, so I didn't know what to think. But uh, when I heard, as you mentioned, Lonnie, the bootlegs, one of my favorites is the Brooklyn Rock City uh, bootleg. And San Francisco is good as well. Uh, I was blown away totally. And when I bought a live three, just the way he played Heavens on Fire, you know, that intro, he used double bass at one time, and I was like, oh, what was that? And then the old songs, uh, they, like, he updated them, and they, you know, like, Deuce and Watching You, Parasite. I didn't really care for those tunes before I heard them played with Eric Singer in the band. So he kind of, he opened up some new doors to me, and I rediscovered the old tunes and uh, so uh, I, I love that choice everything was great for the band Ken I was able to see uh, <clears throat> Eric Singer as part of the uh, Paul Stanley solo tour so I was, I was one of the lucky ones that got to see that and <clears throat> I knew he was a solid drummer at that point I think I remember seeing him I used to get the rock and roll magazines and I know I knew he was in Badlands and, and, and so on. Um, him appearing as part of the group and uh, showing up on the album, uh, yeah, with the blonde hair, like Daniel said, it was uh, like blonde. They lit him, keep his hair blonde. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, they're gonna force the, any new guys to have jet black hair. But anyway, um, he was very good. I was lucky also to see him uh, on the club tour because I was at the club tour and that was his first live appearance with Kiss, I was able to see him there. Um, so I, I've been very lucky um, in certain cases uh, seeing Kiss, but uh, uh, Eric Singer is a solid drummer. Uh, seems like a, just a great guy. Um, I, I, I met him once, and I'll show you uh, coming up in the, another subject that we have coming up. Uh, I'll talk about that list a little bit. But, um, uh, great drumming. Great drumming. I was, I was happy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Ow! That's squeaky. Um, but it was, it's, he's great. He's so great. you're you're like lucky because obviously San Francisco, the Stone, oh, 1992, That's first awesome. first night of the Revenge Club tour, 
debut of Eric Singer on drums, debut of what, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, Unholy, Take It Off, uh, anything else off the, off the album? No, you know, three three songs off the then unreleased album. Um, I don't know how much you'd heard on radio at the time, but what did you think, think of his style? Because obviously double bass player, so they decided not to revert back to the Peter Chris style drummer. Uh, they kept the Eric Carr model, I guess the, you know, the, the more modern approach. You know, he blew your ears off, right? He, he blew my ears off. He was, I, I didn't, you know, it's like, I, it fit right in. It just fit. Um, it was nothing saying like, gosh, he should be drumming a different way. It doesn't sound right with this song or that song. Um, it, it was very good. It was kind of streamlined. It's like nothing changed. Um, if anything, it seemed like more, <clears throat> it was a little bit tighter. Even a little bit tighter than yeah. when Eric Carr was there. Yeah, and, you know, it was probably a little bit of a similar case to Eric Carr that he was a refresher to the band. Here they are, they get a new person in, um, and that's no slight on Eric Carr whatsoever. It's just, you know, a matter of fact, someone different was sitting on the the throne uh, with his own style, his own nuances and quirks, and bring something different into the music. So let's get into Revenge. They... You know, obviously reunite with Bob Ezrin, do this album. Most of it was recorded before Eric died, um, with Kevin Valentine guesting on drums as well. Um, it was, it was uh, for me, it was a complete reinvigoration of them. Whereas all the steps they'd taken in the 1980s progressively got them back, you know, getting harder-edged. Here they jumped on the bandwagon of, like, going for the 14-year-old demographic. And I was 20-something at university, and it didn't work for me. But I was so 14. It was perfect. Yeah, so, so Lonnie, <laughs> Lonnie's happy. I was somewhat indifferent to the Revenge album. Um, you know, there's some good songs. I think it is absolutely stunning, the guitar work and the clarity of that guitar work on the album. It's Bruce's album for me. Um, and I also think it's Eric's album because the um, the drumming, and Kevin's album for that matter, um, is really good. And Kevin O'Neill, I think, drums on Take It Off, and the rest is Eric. Um, and obviously on God Gave Rock and Roll to You, that's Eric, but you do get Eric Carr and some of the harmonies. So, take on the album. Daniel, how did you respond? Well, uh, uh, for me, it started with watching the uh, Unholy video on MTV, and that was, oof, I was blown away by that. Uh, Mainly because Gene felt like his, he had found his home again. Uh, you know, he had found his character. Uh, the previous tours, I didn't like how he, you know, acted on stage and how he looked. But now he was back, simple black, looking black with skulls and the beard and evil. Uh, so I really dug that. Um, and that song I liked a lot. But then I didn't really, I didn't really find any other songs that I liked. I, some of the lyrics I found kind kind of cool, like "Thou shalt not" and uh, a few of the others. Um, they really had some depth for once. And uh, as you said, the sound of the record was absolutely fantastic. To this day, it's absolutely one of my favorite albums sonically. Uh, but but one thing that I felt was miss, missing or lacking uh, was Paul Stanley didn't bring it as he had through the 80s, you know, even on an album like Hot in the Shade, I don't care for that much, he at least had a few great songs, Crazy Night, 
well, maybe one or two songs that worked. But then Asylum, Animal Eyes, Slick It Up, I, I thought he had a lot of good tunes. And for me, as I became a fan like you in 85 with Asylum, it was always Paul Stanley for me. Uh, but this was the first time when I thought Gene Simmons uh, was the main guy. And Paul Stanley didn't manage to, you know, the 90s, early 90s didn't suit Paul. He, he liked it a, li a little bit softer. So songs like um, Take It Off, uh, I Just Wanna, I, I didn't really, I don't think, they didn't work for me. I much more prefer Hide Your Heart and King of the Mountain and Heavens on Fire. So to me, Paul Stanley didn't perform the way I wanted to. And that's why I don't rate that album very high uh, when it comes to the songs. Uh, but the way it sounds is great. And as you said, Bruce is a monster. And I think he he like he was a monster that, even on Carnival of Souls. So as Bruce got better and Gene got better, unfortunately, Paul, I think, took a step back and didn't bring it as he had through the 80s. So that's what I felt when I listened to Revenge the first few times. Yeah, I agree with you with Paul falling by the wayside. of it. I think it was the return of Gene. You know, he'd given up a lot of his external acts and was able to actually contribute to the album process again, rather than simply dialing it in. I mean, I can only pick a couple of songs on this album that I, that really stand out. Heart of Chrome remains one of my favorites, um, as does the absolutely exquisite Every Time I Look at You. Very little else I can tolerate. I mean, I, on our overrated albums episode, I think I bashed Revenge pretty well, um, and, and all that stands, but those two songs are, are really good. Um, God Gave Rock and Roll to You is a good song for me, um, but spit is, you know, just trash. Uh, take it off is trash. Uh, unholy, I don't like. Um, it, you know, it's it's not here or there. Um, it's just I'm indifferent to it. But you know, my problem with this at age what twenty something was when I heard Spinal Tap lyrics that turned me off. The bigger the cushion, the harder the pushing. Yeah, um, that just ruined it. Ken, what about you? Um, like Daniel, I saw uh, Unholy on MTV, and I was like, "This is this is what they should have been doing through the '80s." You know, um, Gene was like you said; he found his place, found his evil. They they seemed, and at least in the video, they seemed somewhat dangerous again, right? Um, so after that, I was excited about it, and then I saw the club tour. And the thing about the club tour is when we first were filing into to the stone, they were playing music. It was they were playing Revenge, and Revenge hadn't been released yet, but they were playing it over the loudspeakers. And I was listening. Wait a minute, that sounds like Gene. What is this? And I think the first song I heard was "Thou Shall Not." When while by the time I got inside, and I thought, oh, this sounds freaking awesome. So uh, I picked it up right away and. I I enjoy it. The, the sound of it is perfect. You know, um, Bob Ezrin did a great job, as usual, producing. Um, the star of the album is Bruce Kulick. Definitely. Just his, he just rips the dirtiest guitar solos you've, you've ever heard. I mean, they're just awesome. Um, otherwise, yeah, like Paul Stanley songs, 
they're okay. They're not his best. I the Gene songs. I I leaned on all the Gene songs with Unholy and and uh, Domino and uh, like I now sound not paralyzed. Those songs were all pretty solid from him. I wish I we ha- would have had more from him on that one actually because he seemed like in a groove there. Um, but uh, the Paul songs were good. Not not great, but like he can usually do writing his anthems, so to speak. Um, so it, it was a great. It's still a top album for me. I, I don't bash it. It's still pretty high for me. Not the highest, but uh, uh, I think it's really good. Yeah, it's better than Crazy Nights. And Gene, you know, his material is certainly better than his material on, for me, on Animal Eyes or on Hot in the Shade. You know, so while I may not dig it, it's it was more well-constructed and thought out and executed than his previous contributions have been. Lonnie? Well, you guys know my thoughts on revenge, and <laughs> I think you guys are. I still think you guys are crazy. You don't like it, but it. Um, and the same thing with you guys. I remember watching MTV, and Unholy came on, and let's not for and and Unholy came on. And, you know, they they just looked the way that they should have looked going back to '83, just black and white and dangerous. They looked the band looked dangerous looking again. The band had an edge to them again. Yeah. And they, they, they just look like Kiss should look without makeup. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's a Gene Simmons song is the lead single off that album. Let's not forget about that. That was a huge change. That a Gene Simmons song was the lead single and the first song on the album. That was a major change from the formula they had pushed throughout the entire 80s um, part of the band. But... The, the band just looked great. They sounded amazing on the album. And I remember going out and getting it right away when it came out. It was, and it just blew my mind the first time I listened to it. And it, I still love it to this day. And then, and I guess it's, and, and I guess it's a nostalgic part of me that liked it because like I said, I was 13, 14 years old and the album came out and you know, a band, you're, the band sings, take it off, take it off is cool. when you're 13 years old, you're singing about going to a strip club. And, and and Domino is cool, and Spit is cool when you're that age. And and that's what they were going after. They were going after a new generation of fans, and I was a big fan. I was a fan before that, but that album just just surged me in into fandom with the band. And I, I just I loved it from start to finish, and I still do. And... I remember, I remember seeing the video for for uh, Unholy, obviously on MTV, and I remember seeing the video for I Just Wanna on MTV, and just like the like the white background on that video, and the band, and the band, they, I like the way the band looked on that video too, and they just they did a good, really good presentation with the band was very image conscious for that band. There were there was a certain form that they wanted the band to look like um, and sound like at that period, and. It was coming off of the heels of Metallica, really gaining a lot of popularity with with their kind of dangerous looking image, with their you know dressed in black type of image, and Poser. And, Meg- and Megadeth was really popular too. And I think that they were kind of spawning off of off of that. You know, Kiss Kisses chased a lot of trends um, throughout their career, and that and that was one um, that they were kind of going for that kind of look because the the uh, the big hair. 
and the mate and the girlish look of the eighties and the poison look was really dying by, by May of 92 and Metallica had a lot of success. Metallica was going out um, on tour with Guns N' Roses in the summer of 92. Metallica was the big and happening thing. And it's kind of a look that, that, that the band was chasing at that point is we want to look like that. Cause look at, look at the success that they're having over here. Um, and, and they hooked me with the album, with the sound of that album. And they hooked me with their look on that album and, and the songs on the album too. I mean, I'm, you guys are nuts. I think those songs are amazing from start to finish, you know, <laughs> I will argue with you three forever about that. I will not give yeah, up. Yeah, you, you, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that, you know, because you know, seven years earlier, nineteen eighty-five, the fourteen-year-old me really liked uh, all night. And what the hell is the? There is no difference between that and revenge, you know, and take it off seven years later. So it's just you know, it's a generational thing. Um, but what about the other videos? Because they shot videos for every time I look at you. Um, I think they shot one for Take It Off. You know, I, they shot. They, I thought. I thought they shot two in London um, when they were doing. I just want. I just want. No, I just want. Shot in London. Domino. Uh, every time I look at you and Unholy. I don't remember ever seeing Every Time I Look at You. Um, I never saw Domino on TV, um, and that's a cool video. I also tell you. Every time I look at you, I just have to tell you a story. Uh, you know, by back then, no internet, and I there was one show here in Sweden that showed heavy metal and hard rock. Uh, I guess it was a, a British show, Headbangers Ball, a European version of it, with Vanessa Warwick as I don't know if you know who she is, crazy looking witch, witch, witch like hair, and, and, and so, so on. But but there was. Uh, a kiss special at one time, at least I remember when they were in London and shooting the "I Just Wanna Wait" video. But uh, she always said when they were showing new videos, "So oh, next episode we're going to show uh, every time I look at you." Oh, so I, 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 I and the show was on between midnight and two uh, a.m., so it was kind of late, and on Sundays. But I didn't care. I was going to see it. So I prepared with coffee and stuff and waited for them to play every time I look at you. And I was going to record it on my VHS. So I was there up waiting and it became half, half, half 12 and 1 o'clock and they hadn't shown it. And then I woke up 7 o'clock and I had missed it. And it like 10 years before I saw it or something. Because you couldn't find it anywhere. So that, oh, uh, I was so sad. So that's my every time I look at you story. Terrible. Young kids won't understand that these days. No, the, the challenges of not having a, a time or, you know, the duration yeah. to record something probably. Ken, did you see them on the proper revenge tour at all? Oh, yes, I did. Uh, I saw them in uh, Oakland. Uh, and um, it wasn't quite full. <laughs> there it was not a whole lot of uh, crowd there. And uh, well, that's the that's the third to last show of the tour, isn't it? So it was at the yeah, it was right at the end there. Um, but uh, I remember standing on the floor, part of the Welcome uh, Coliseum uh, Arena at that time, and um, it was. I mean, it was a great show, but uh, it was obvious to me that they weren't selling out this type of venue anymore. Um, but it was a great show from start to finish as usual um they just still blew me away i love the 
the stage, the Statue of Liberty, you know, New York band just fit with that. And then with it, uh, the face coming off, uh, off the Statue of Liberty to, to show the, yeah, <laughs> to show the, um, kind of Terminator type face yeah. behind it. And then, yeah, the, the finger thing, the, the hand part where he kind of flipping off. I don't, I, I think it's almost, I don't know what they're trying to say there, but I, I, I kind of don't like them doing that. It's almost like, are you flipping off the crowd? Yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it was way too that, close to misinterpretation. Something else. Yeah. The Gene Simmons, I love you sign. Um, you know, something else. But uh, it, it was a great show, great, great stage. Yeah, so I missed that tour. I'd moved back to England in uh, August of 92, so... Missed another tour for being in the wrong bloody country. Uh, Lonnie, did you get to any at that age? No, I told my story on a show or two ago how I was supposed to go to that show, but I got grounded, and that was my punishment that I couldn't go to the show. It was awful, and I still give my mother crap about it to this day that I never got to see Kiss without the makeup. But I, my brothers, my and then, you know, I had and, and on top of it, the ice on the cake was your brothers can go, but you you can stay home tonight. And it was just the worst. But um, no, I didn't get to see him on, on that tour until um, until the next year when the video came out, right? Right. You know, until I got until um well and well, Kiss Extreme Close Up came out right right after Revenge did too. Um, that's that that, really cool. that's right. That's you know the segue into the next thing really it's kind of jumping ahead a little. Yeah, you know, after Revenge, they seem to get back on the on track with doing some archival releases, and the first, you know, the first one to come out is Kiss Extreme Close Up, which is their first proper, you know, release package since Kiss Exposed, um, and it was, I guess, it was supposed to be called Kiss Exposed too, um, and there are some out some outtake artwork that may or may not be legit, but this really caught up you know, meet a lot of the video that had been out and about circulating, you know, unholy video, sure knows something, you got lots of excerpts, and that was my biggest beef with Extreme Close-Up, too many excerpts, um, you know, it was like quarter teasing, but, you know, you get all the videos from Hot in the Shade, thank God you only get an excerpt of, uh, let's put the X in sex, but, um, you know, what were your guys' take on that as we get into some of these videos again? Ken? I enjoyed it. It was it was very good seeing a lot of the videos. Like you said, there were snippets of certain things, but um, uh, they had all the well, they had from the Revenge, they had Unholy, and um, I just wanna on there, I believe, right? Um, I don't think they have every time we look at you on that. Yeah, they just do an excerpt of I just wanna, and they do God gave rock and roll to you over the closing credits, if my notes Um, are correct. And uh, I liked how they were kind of started it, where they were trying to show, it was kind of like a documentary in a way, showing how they started and brought, you know, formed the band and so on. I didn't care for them kind of bashing the Ace and Peter thing again over and over. And uh, we're never going to, why put the makeup back on? We were never going to, you know, do that. Um, But I know I watched that thing over and over because it had so much great, so many great clips on there and music. Um, so it was real good. I was going to say back on the revenge thing is the first song, you know, uh, unholy was the first song on revenge. The last time that happened was never right. Um, I think the only time would be a Gene Simmons solo album. It's the last time he had the lead sing song on an album. 
Um, yeah, it had been a long time that, since he had had the lead single, the lead song. A or, single period. Yeah. Yeah. You know, last, his last one had been I Love It Loud. Yeah, what's funny about that is, this is kind of off topic, but in Dynasty, I bought Dynasty. First day it came out, pulled it right out of the box. It wasn't even on the shelf at the record store yet. I pulled it right out of the box that was sitting next to it to be stocked. I opened the box and pulled it out that way. Um, and then took it home, put it on, because I looked at the back of Dynasty, and the first song on the back, on the back cover of the Dynasty album said Charisma. So I said, oh, God, that must be the first album. So I just looked at it real quick, flashed it, put it down. I started, the first time I listened to that album was with Charisma as the lead single. So I thought, oh, they put Gene as a starting off. <laughs> but that didn't really happen. But anyway, going back to it, um, the, the video was awesome. Um, I, again, I haven't watched it in a while. I probably should pull it out. But um, it was good. And you just reminded me of something that I skipped over with Revenge as well, collecting it. Um, for all you like people who love different audio, there is an alternate mix of the album that is available, as far as I'm aware, only in one market in one format, and that is the Argentine cassette, Venganza, or Vengaza, forgive me, Spaniards, for ruining that. Um, but it's got multiple differences to several songs, most notably what I'm going to play now, and if you don't get enough of the mumble and Paralyzed, you get a full 23 seconds in the Argentine version. So here we go with that. <laughs> That is so bloody pointless, but I wasn't going to play. Do you want to touch me now? Um, so there's a couple of other minor differences on there. You get, uh, you know, a, and going on the FAQ board sometimes where people have actually counted the number of cymbal hits on a song performance by our drummers, you actually get an extended count into one of the songs. Um, so really pointless shit like that. So let's move on to the video. Daniel, extreme close up. What do you remember? Well, at the time, it was fantastic, uh, since it was hard to get, you know, uh, interviews with kids. Uh, so that was one way of uh, being able to, to watch them. Uh, and uh, as, uh, as you said, uh, it, the problem with it was mainly Gene bashing the other former KISS band mates. I remember Mark St. John getting a, a load yeah. You know, yeah, the bumblebee. Stupid thing, or something like that. He said uh, he, he thought he, his guitar playing sounded like an angry fly or something, angry bee. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I, you know, Animalize and Asylums were my first two albums. So I really, I love that beginning of um, the first song on Animalize. I've had enough into the fire. Uh, so I never. I, I didn't agree with him on, on that, but uh, I was never a Peter fan or, or, or a, not even an Ace Frehley fan, but I still didn't like the way he, he treated them. Um, and the one thing I remember from Extreme Up, uh, Extreme Close Up were the snippets of a club tour show that you saw at times mm -hmm. in the video. That was what I wanted to see, a whole club tour show, uh, pro shop. But I guess those were like from a single camera at one of the shows. Uh, there isn't any good pro shot video from the club tour. 
uh, unfortunately. But that was what I was looking forward to. And at the time, they had uh, the great show in the UK. You must have missed it by just a month or two uh, when you moved back to, to, to England. Wasn't it in May or something? May I t- or uh, yeah, I just I missed the the British yeah. tour, um, and yeah. I was and I was go- I was going to Glasgow, sh- so I could have gone to the exhibition center. So I missed that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I just have to say that show I really liked uh, the one with the hot in the shade um, uh, stage, which I preferred in, when you compare it to the Statue of Liberty. So that show with the set list. Uh, that they had on the Revenge tour was just great. So uh, I missed, uh, you know, more from the current band. Uh, I wanted to see live, uh, live performances from the band with Eric Singer. So that was what what I was missing from the Extreme Close Up video. Yeah, too much of a hodgepodge for me, Lonnie. I uh, I loved Extreme Close Up, um, of course, because. It was it was my first being, you know, a young teenager at the time. It was my first exposure to um, these stories and a lot of the history of the band. It's how I gained a lot of my knowledge of the band's history from the seventies. Being, you know, a teenager, a young teenager at in the early nineties, um, and, and I and it's how I learned a lot about the band, and I loved it absolutely, and wore out my VHS tape of watching that over and over and over again. And, um, I, to see that old footage of, I mean, I had hardly seen any footage of the band playing, um, in makeup in the seventies, other than what I had seen on, um, extreme, I mean, um, exposed other than that, it was like my first almost exposure to scenes, a lot of, live action footage of, of the seventies. Um, and like the sure knows something video and things like that. It's just like, wow. It's just, this is why I love this band. And I remember like showing it to my friends. They'd come over to the house, you know, like, you know, it, it, I mean, Ken, you said you went and saw them in Oakland, you know, and it, it was not full. It was not a really big time or popular time to be a fan of the band. You know? And I no. told my friends at the time that, Oh, I love them. And it's like, Really listen to Metallica, listen to Guns N' Roses. Why are you listening to to Kiss? They're they're old. They're old. People were telling yeah. you that twenty years ago. They're old. What yeah. do you listen to them for? Yeah. And I remember showing them that this is why I love this band. I I just I thought I thought the release was was great and um, very you know and, and again appeal, appealing to the demographic of the age I was at the time. That you, you, they were bringing on a whole new audience. Maybe you weren't seeing it in the in the in the attendance at the shows, but they were trying to appeal to a younger crowd and and expose them to um, just the band's history and get them on board with the band moving forward. You know, and, and watching that made me think that I bought into that. Like, oh yeah, you don't want Ace and Peter back in the band. And yeah, you're right. That that Mark St. John sounds like a bumblebee. I don't like that either. I like. You know, just just to bring you on board with where they were and make you buy in to to what they were doing, and you know, they got me a hook, line, and sinker. On. Yeah, you, but you and I guess Daniel and I, you know, we're kind of the last generation to get into the band. I, I mean, we're I would say it's our age group that is a pretty good 
you know, segment of the Kiss Army these days. I mean, mm-hmm. you're the last, Revenge is the last time to really get in on the band become, before they become a nostalgia act, you know, because mm-hmm. you can't say anyone be, becomes a really big fan of, you know, Alive 3, You Wanted the Best, or MTV Unplugged. Obviously, those albums will have made some people fans, but not on the sort of level that Revenge did. Yeah, of like new music. Yeah, to- totally yeah. new, totally new music. So, you know, the extreme close-up. I think I think it's you know a decent package, but it's not as maybe as quaint as Kiss Exposed had been. You know, there's no carols, no Sonny the Chimp, you know, no uh, no naked masseuses. Uh, you know, that, you know that was cornball and that was so eighties. But I always felt 1992, Motley Crue called and wanted their Doctor Feel Good costumes back and their pentagram. Because, you know, all of that was just, like, so Motley Crue to me. But, to be honest, by the end of 92, I was listening to Nirvana and Megadeth and nothing else. So, um, you know, let's jump into Alive 3. That That's the next release. So, they archive a unsuccessful tour, essentially. And, you know, they had some great audiences on this. So, again, it's patchy. It's like Creatures Lick It Up Again or any of the 80s tours. After the highs, hot in the shade, here they are, up and down. They're in a changing, I think it was an economy as well as, you know, a musical environment. And they put out a live three. I want to start off with one question. Should they have done Kiss Alive 3 in 1991, right after Eric Carr died, and put out a Eric Carr behind the drums Alive 3 with some recording from the 80s? Or was it right to wait one more album and do it on Eric Singer's first album? Ken? They should have done an album even earlier, on the Life 3 earlier, with Eric Carr. Um, maybe after the the three, maybe uh, Creatures, um, Lick It Up, and uh, Animize, at least there. I mean, you had the Animize Live Uncensored video, they probably could have turned that into a a live three right there. So I I believe they should have done it or they should have done something right after he passed um, as a tribute to, you know, to him um, because we don't really have anything other than our own bootlegs uh, to have, uh, see what Eric Carr did in, you know, live. So uh, they should have done it before that. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think Alive 3, for me, I don't know if you want to talk about that yet, but Alive 3 was kind of a, not much, didn't do too much for me. Yeah. So. Daniel? Um, well, I, I, I don't think they planned on, on doing a live album. Uh, I remember them talking about, well, at least we need another studio album before we can release Alive 3. But they really had no other out, you know. They had played all the cards. They had released uh, an album that uh, was, at least from in, in newspapers and media, was quite well received, uh, but not that many people bought it, and the tour kind of tanked. And what should they do? Um, they, and they, they like, played the Alive card. Alive 1 and 2 were great successes, so I guess it was just... They didn't have any choices. They had to do something. They couldn't tour... Uh, they couldn't release a studio album. How? What should should we do in order to bring in some money? And then they did a live three. So it, I think it was they were forced to do it. But um, I would have liked to see an live album, as you said, back in 
84-85, somewhere around there. Uh, but we do have the animalized live uncensored video, and that you know there, there's decent audio of that one, of course. Um, so, uh, but to me, it was just we have no other out. We have to do a live three and see what happens. They were hoping to tour for a live three, you know, like a big tour, but it didn't. I think it went. Uh, it was nine on the billboard, but then it like dropped like a. Yeah, it stone. totally dropped like a rock. They did, you yeah. know, nineteen ninety three. They played three shows, you know, and one was you know, a Pleasure Island, you know, a Mickey Mouse show, and and the other one, uh, you know, Concrete Foundations for them. So ni- ninety ninety three, they didn't do much in support. I mean, they did the uh, the radio show. Um, Lonnie, did you like a live three? I did because just as good where I was, of course. Um, I liked the live three. I I thought, yeah, they should have done something around eighty four, eighty five when the band was kind of regaining popularity after they took off the makeup to really kind of capitalize on where they were moving forward around that time period. And I understand why in like November ninety one, after Eric passed, why they didn't go back and do an, a live recording to tribute Eric. Because at the time, the band would, the band was not a nostalgic act at that point in time. Whenever you whenever you see interviews of the band, of Gene and Paul around that time period, they always talk about moving forward. We don't want to be, you know, um, we don't want to be trapped in our past. We, you know, we want to talk about moving forward, moving forward. And I think doing that uh, a live album in November of '91 or before they released a live before they re- released Revenge would have kind of make them look back when they were always about moving forward. So I understand why they didn't do it at that time, but I wish they would have done something around probably animalized, like, like that Detroit show. Um, that being said, I do like a live three. And I think like we were talking how like songs that Eric played on, like watching you, um, that he really breathed a new life into those songs. I mean, you listen to Watching You off of Live 3 and listen to Watching You off of the original Alive. You know, it has a whole, it has a very different feel to it um, than than the original band. And you can really see how different the band was playing those songs in that time period as opposed to how they were being played in the 70s. Um, but I really, en- I, I enjoyed it and it was finally my way of, hearing the show that I missed out on seeing because of my um, teenage thievery. So, <laughs> so I'm such the badass people know. <laughs> well, well, this might not surprise anyone, but I hate Alive 3. No. I, I was... No, 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 no. Okay, by then, I'm now in England, so I'm laid up in bed with a broken leg at university. My mom's actually visiting me, and I sent her out to... Uh, w. H. Smith to go try and find the Alive Three album for me. Um, because I'm laid up in bed. Go get me Alive. Go get me Alive Three, Mom. Uh, and you know, I hated it for two reasons. Number one, I always felt that Alive Three was the animalized live uncensored. When I'd been living in Asia, it was out as a bootleg cassette, and that became my live album. I mean. I don't. I can't say it's a great performance. It needs to be slowed down about ten percent to be made listenable because it's just way too fast. The performances of the songs, um, but then you, you you get to nineteen ninety three, and I had just moved back to the UK, and I just missed a show in Glasgow 
that I could have bloody well gone to easily the first show in my whole life that I'm really near, and then Alive 3 comes out, and it just reinforced, well, you just missed this, Mr. Gill. Tough shit on you. So I hated it for that for that reason, but it, you know what? It's it's a really good performance. Um, I, I think sonically, it doesn't sound as good as the other Alives. Uh, there, it's just missing a bit of character in the audio recording um but it's a stunning show it's you know a really great length as well of show you know there's only a few songs that i think are are chopped out of that set list on the actual album but they yeah they chopped up the wrong ones like tears are falling that we don't have a a live version of Mm -hmm. terrible choice i think so and parasite one of the best you know the most updated songs so I, i remember being really disappointed uh, when they cut Tears of Falling and Parasite. And another thing was that you wanted a double album at the time, at least I did. Mm-hmm. You know, the ACDs had released uh, a double album. You could buy it as a double or yeah, a thing. Yeah, Live at Donington, yeah, 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 really good. But what, yeah, but one thing I looked forward for forward towards was, was uh, the new song. You have to remember, I'm from another country. So looking at the, the set list, Pages of Night Deuce. Uh, what's this last one? Star Sprangled Banner. <laughs> what is A new that? song. <laughs> you have to know that um, we're not all Americans. So I was looking forward to that. And then, but, do, do, do. oh no, it's the national anthem. Oh. And we were a couple of We were like three, four guys. We were three, four guys buying the album. And we all thought that Star Sprangled Banner, it has to be the new single. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is going to be a shit. So so you you do realize after all that Kiss lied about rock and roll all night being the rock and roll national anthem when they then throw Star Spangled Banner on and trump themselves. So Alive Three, you know, good effort again. It it misses on a couple levels, but it's also very good. And they did some. Was it ninety three that they did Arsenio Hall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, what a Those, that's a great performance. That is one of the all-time best, and I think I mentioned it, or someone mentioned it on the Kissology episode about, was it on there? Or was it, no. we mentioned it, that no. it should have been on yeah, there. Should have been. Because that is one of the all-time greatest Kiss appearances on TV, and I mean, that'll be an episode in itself uh, to really yeah. talk about. So, 93, you get that, and the band has power. So if I compare Alive 3 with Animalize, number one, Eric Singer blows the roof off with the drums. The songs are at the right tempo. They're, they've really dug back into the back catalog, and they've married up the new stuff and the old stuff really effectively. So, you know, more power to them. This In 1993, they also do a video release, don't they? And Confidential. Kiss Confidential. Daniel, what do you recall on that, and how did that work, and did you think it was better than the previous year's, you know, extreme close-up? I loved it. You know, I was really into live videos, even though that's not live, so to speak, uh, at least somewhat live, but at the time it was really popular with the black and white, uh, and then you went to color, if you remember, it was kind of, they, they went back and forth between black and white and, and color, so I remember feeling that this is really up-to-date, this is current, this is cool. And I remember I was in Stockholm uh, when I bought it. Uh, I was staying at a friend's house, went home and played. And he liked, like, Swedish punk bands, this guy. So he, he hated Kiss. But I play. I forced him to watch <laughs> Kiss Confidential. And by the end of it, he said, well, 
I guess I have to go and get that latest album, Revenge, he said. So he liked it, and he was like a Swedish punk uh, rocker. So uh, I guess there's something in that performance that attracts people. But then the cheesy parts in between songs I, I could do without, like the beer crusher. And uh, even though I was I was somewhere around, I guess I was like 15, 16 at, at the time. But even then I thought, well, this is kind of cheesy. Um, but but the songs and the performance is great, and Paul Stanley still could bring it, uh, jumping around, singing, and looking kind of a bit cooler than it had done previous years uh, in, in black and leather. And uh, Gene Simmons was right back on track. Eric Singer brought it on the drums, and Bruce did like his best tour. So I love that video. But it also, doesn't it chop up in the middle and you get Detroit 76, San Francisco 75? And you only get 16 songs on this, you know, so you're not getting yeah. a full Alive 3 show. It's different audio than the Alive 3 album, um, unless I'm mistaken. Lonnie, wasn't that distracting or did you... I didn't, li I didn't like that because I went out and got Kiss Confidential thinking it was going to be the companion of a live three that, you know, again, seeing the show that I missed, this is it. And it, I liked it at the time and it, and it delivered, but it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. You know, I just, what I really wanted was a live three start to finish. And, you know, with, with tears are falling on there and, and the songs that were skipped on the album, I wanted on the video maybe. Um, and, and I, maybe Kiss was becoming nostalgic at that point by going back and playing those videos like that in the middle. Maybe it was, you know, the the, the beginning of the start to look back and, you know, because look look where you go the next to me. I don't want to get ahead, but look where you start going then with the Kiss My Ass video and that. But um, because at the time, too, when, when bands put out a live album, Usually it was the band getting ready to go away for a while um, by putting out a live album to kind of like cap this chapter of, of the band's history. And like you guys were saying earlier that, you know, they, they were going to tour for a live three and they couldn't. And I, I think that they, they didn't know they, maybe the, the, the writing was on the wall. Maybe the wheels were starting to turn for where they wanted to go. Um, with the band because they they didn't I think they had too much pride to say well when we go out on tour again we're gonna have to do a a theater show or a theater tour or something like that um, because they weren't filling arenas in the states so I think the band was kind of at a at a turning point where they didn't where they weren't sure where to go they're putting that on there maybe trying to feel the water, test the water a little bit. So nineteen ninety three you know comes to an end and they don't tour ninety four. They don't really do much touring. I think in this period, they, they, well, yeah, at the end of the year. But you know, but before that, what well, you know, they play, they play, a, they play a wedding, don't they? Uh, the core's wedding. Um, you know, so they're not doing much, much touring. Daniel, uh, I remember they did two shows in America or something, a Gibson Festival and yeah, like in Arizona, Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Yeah, yeah, they they, they played uh, four shows. But I remember uh, watching bootlegs from those shows, and they still kicked ass. But but I understood at the time that 
they had to do something drastic in order to, you know, like get popular again. So, uh, and we all know what happened happened a few years later. But at the time, I was so into the band, so I, I was hoping that it wouldn't do a reunion. So I was one of the of the few, I guess. But '94, uh, the South American tour uh, still holds up to this day, even though they don't have a lot of effects and pyro. Uh, there's something about that performance. I guess the audience is one part of it. You know, in South America, I didn't know it at, at the time, but uh, they are like crazy loco in South America. Um, and we Paul Stanley doing his talk there. And have you seen, I think it's in, it's in Santiago, Chile, when he looks at the hand and reads it because he can't say it. You know, he has his little speech there. Pedro, Pedro. Uh, you know, it was terrible. He couldn't even say those two, three lines. But other than that, I love those shows in South America still to this day. And especially at the time when Gene Simmons is playing God of Thunder and he starts rolling his eyes back and, you know, flicking his tongue a little bit. And not too much as he, he does now, but just a little thing there, looking mean. Ooh, I like that, uh, that those shows. So, 94 was sort of a, you know, kiss my ass, came out both the video and uh, the record. Both were terrible. Uh, <laughs> at least to me, I didn't like, kiss my ass felt like something I just put together to to, to have something on the market. It didn't really but seem to look, make any sense, did it? You know, no, the, no, the, no. the artists, the acts. But but the, the plan for Kiss My Ass was kind of good. They had like Stone Temple Pilots were supports to cover a song. They had Megadeth. Uh, what else? Me Metallica was going to do Detroit Rock City. It's the lamp over here. Uh, and they had a great band. So we, I was kind of pumped for that album. And then what, what did you get? You got like some German band doing Unholy in German, at least here in Europe. I don't. Uh, maybe that's on the European. Yeah, D. Arts was only on. Unheilig. Or Die. You know, it was terrible. Lonnie. Lonnie, kiss my ass. Did that do anything for you? Even even at my age, kiss my even as fanboy as I was at that time. It did not do anything for me. And like Daniel was saying, the idea, well, even even at the time for the band to put out an album called Kiss My Ass, look how great we are. You guys couldn't even tour at the time. You guys weren't really doing anything at the time. I mean, you go into it. I mean, you start playing hotel ballrooms at the time and you're putting out an album called Kiss My Ass, look how great we are. And, you know, the idea of it was cool. Um, to get, like, you know, they wanted Madonna to sing I Was Made for Loving You. And Megadeth and Ugly Kid... And Megadeth did cut Strange Ways. That's a really good recording. But, um, you know, they wanted Ugly Kid Joe to do to do a song. They wanted Jackal to be on there, which, who was really popular at the, at the time, too, at least here in the Midwest they were. And they uh, the, I, the idea for it was cool, but to call it Kiss My Ass at the time I thought was really poor even though in that 15 16 years old oh yeah kiss my ass. but it was not it was it was stupid because you guys weren't at the height of of you were is there a very low point in the band and it, it didn't come off well and, and to have you know what you wanted metallica you wanted 
Megadeth. You wanted Jackal, but you ended up with the Jim Blossoms and Dinosaur Jr. and the Lemonheads, and it really fell short for me, even even at the time. Pick a favorite song on the album, a favorite version. Hard Luck Woman, I guess, with Garth Brooks is really, as weird as that sounds, maybe it's kind of the coolest thing on there, I think. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. No, I, I, I just see who's uh, who's calling. Beth, I hear you calling. I can't help you. Okay, Ken, what about you and Kiss My Ass? And, and I guess the video as well. You know, it's just such a hodgepodge. How did uh, how did you find it? Well, um, the video was okay. Um, I guess the only best parts that I liked about the video were showing the old footage. Yeah, all, all that high-quality footage that they had to ask the fans to provide them? Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and going back to the Alive 3 thing, when they were trying to create interest for that Alive 3 tour, they did a uh, meet-and-greet little thing going on there, tour, and I, uh, they, would, they announced it on Headbangers Ball that they were going to do some meet-and-greets in certain cities, and if you bought the live three album on the first day it came out and you were one of the first people you'd get a little pass for a meet and greet with them in your local city and sure enough i went down there i was right when tower records opened i said hey here's the live three i bought the live three where's my pass you know and it's like the guy likes clueless and he goes you had to ask somebody else about it and then he brought it, oh here yeah you can get one of these with it. So I got my pass, and it was at in San Francisco, I believe, and uh, waited in line, and we walked through a line and, you know, got to get something autographed by each member of the band. And I, you know, shook each person's hand, and I remember it with Eric Singer. Like I said, I met Eric Singer. That was very brief, but I said, hey, man, I, I love your drumming on the album, and he, he was very appreciative of it and so on. So uh, that's why I saw that. But they were trying to draw up interest for touring, I think, on the live three, but it, it, that didn't even help. Um, so going back to the video now, um, yeah, just the music, the other parts of it, kiss my ass. Eh, I, I just, it just didn't work for me. The album had a couple of things I liked, maybe Lenny Kravitz. Uh, Deuce and you know I actually like the Black Diamond uh, classical type piece. I it kind of just is it's so different to me. I mean it's the same but different. That was Yoshiki, wasn't it? And they Yoshiki, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, I guess uh, I guess that's on there strategically for the Japanese market. You uh, know, you put right. die arts or de arts, however you say that for the Germans. You put uh, which is a big market, and you put a Japanese act on for the Japanese market, which is a big thing. So it, it's very kind of calculated in that way, and and everyone else gets the guys who are uh, you know big on TV at the time. Boston's were big, so they right. they get that split. Uh, the green single released as well. Uh, Thanks. The flags in the background. Yeah, the, the different yeah. flags. Australia got they, its own they flag. Play, they, play, they play that chord when they did those, you know, those big uh, monster books as well. They thought it was a great oh, yeah. different flag. So they, they did not do a British flag, so I'm not interested in the product. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, I bought the Australian one. It's got, it still has some of the Union flag. Uh, so, I mean, it's, 
none of it worked for me. I, I mean, I'll go with Anthrax as my favorite cut off that album, just because that's in, in my realm, and it's one of the few Anthrax songs I like. Ken, do you have a favorite song on the uh, favorite cover? I think uh, it was uh, Deuce, uh, Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, you go with that. Daniel, did you have a favorite? Uh, Anthrax. Yeah, good call. It was the uh, closest to, you know, the, the, the Kiss feel. And I had heard, I think they did Parasite prior to to 94, didn't they? Yeah, they and had. Like, yeah. yeah, and I kind of like that one, even though it was insane tempo. I, I like that one. So, uh, uh, um, Antrex was good, but other than that, there's really nothing that stands out to me. I didn't like the Lenny Kravitz thing. Did it, did some kind of, I don't know, the riff he was doing. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't like that one. It wasn't Stevie Wonder on Hermo Harmonica. Yeah, yeah. 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 Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Let's like put everyone we can into this song, and maybe then someone will buy it. We don't care how it sounds, but we have some stars. I'm crazy. So I think you raise a good point, Daniel. In this period now, we start getting into nostalgia a little bit more. Yeah. You know, merchandising, you know, Revenge had been reissued uh, by H&H &H Marketing on, I think, gray-colored vinyl and light blue. Alive 3 came out on red, white, and blue vinyl. Uh, Kiss My Ass came out on red vinyl. So we're, we're getting into, like, niche collecting at that time and Kistry. You know, here comes Kiss with, and I, I believe the ad for it, first appears in the uh, Kiss My Ass album. Yeah, and, and the note to Ace and Peter when you lift up the CD yeah. and Kiss yeah. My Ass too. I mean, okay. you and and Kiss My Ass has the, has, I know it's not Ace, obviously it's not Ace Frehley's makeup, but it features the makeup on the cover, even though it's, you know, the oh, yeah. Thanksgiving table, whatever it is, but it, it has the makeup on the cover for the first time since, you know, since Creatures. You see... You see the makeup designs and and the the note the Ace and Peter obviously and they they knew what they wanted when they released that ninety four. Yeah, you don't see Ace Frehley's makeup. Uh, yeah. So, but I remember this was a terrible time. I don't know if you can see this promotion tour of Kiss My Ass in Europe. This was one of the lowest sides, lowest lowest time to be a Kiss fan. <laughs> People didn't even want them to come to their shows. I mean, there were three three days in Stockholm. I think they went on one show and they they didn't want to say anything about the album. If they said like, uh, well, if you don't send Paul and Jean over here, we won't do anything on this album. So they were forced to come to the studio uh, and did some lame Thanksgiving uh, happy Easter. It was something about Easter. They were painting eggs and it was terrible. I, I'm sure it's on YouTube. But they did have to come and visit the studio. People didn't care about them at all here in Sweden. No one cared. Did they, get, uh, they did a promo tour in Europe after the UK tour in 92. Um, I know they went to Holland. They did a TV appearance there. Yeah. Did they? And they went to Germany and other countries. Did they go to Sweden in 92? Or was that the first time? No, I don't think they were here in 92. But uh, 94 they were here. But it would have been better to be here in 92. There was still a bus and... Uh, I think Revenge did quite well in 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 Sweden, and there were friends of mine that kind of liked Revenge. Many people liked Domino for some reason. I don't know why, but that was one favorite among people. Uh, they didn't. Uh, well, many many fans of Metallica and Guns N' Roses they picked up Revenge, uh, but by the time Kiss My Ass came out, there was zero interest. 
So let's get into the history book. Um, Lonnie, or Ken, I guess, at the time, did you guys buy it? Do you have it? Do you I, like it? I have it. Uh, I bought it when I saw it was coming out. I thought, this is something I got to get. Um, I know it took forever to receive it. Uh, I remember they were supposed to get it by, I don't know, a certain time period, and then it's like, we're... I had I was ended up calling the company. Yeah, we're we're chipping stuff out and so on. But anyway, finally received it. Uh, huge book, heavy book, numbered and yeah, signed by the current members at the time. And uh, I read it from beginning to end. I read the whole thing. <laughs> um, I think probably in, the, in one day. Um, so it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a cool thing to go back into history and see some things, learn some new things about how things went down in the early days. Um, a lot of cool pictures in there too. Yes, um, very, very cool absolutely stunning pictures. Seen. The bandit thing, you know, makeup, a lot of those. Um, so it, it was very good. Lonnie, I have it. Um... I don't like to get it out because I'm afraid it's going to fall apart every time I open it up. Yeah, for some, for some reason, my binding has issues. I don't know. I wonder if I can get anything done on my binding. But um, I had I didn't buy it right away when it came out because it was like, uh, like $150, $160. Bucks. And when you're 14, 15 years old, $150, $160 bucks in 1994, that was a lot of money. And I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. I mean, I wasn't I was working cutting grass was my only source of income at the time. So I couldn't, I got it. I got it. I guess I want to say about 96, maybe 97. And mine came signed by Jean Paul, Ace and Peter. Uh, it was like the second edition of it, I guess. And, you know, I've gotten it signed by Eric and Bruce since then. But, um, the photographs in there are just absolutely incredible. And I, it, it's one of my favorite pieces that I own. Um, history too, not so much as, horrible but i i really wish when they were going to do that monster book a few years ago that they wouldn't have they, I don't know, they really missed the boat on that if they were going to do like a monster book like a picture book that they would have done something along the size of history that that you're normal you know normal they they, they still right? could have called it monster i mean and a nine a fine, nine pound photo book would have made more sense than that monstrosity for a book it's just the most ridiculous thing ever <laughs> Well, they sold a whole hundred copies, apparently. Um, Daniel, do you have history? I don't have it. I've read it. But at the time, you know, I was into the music. Uh, and I thought the Kiss My Ass book was about, uh, you know, it was about nostalgia and uh, the band, how it was back then. And to me, that didn't do anything. I wanted to have a new album. I wanted to see them live. That was what, what I was looking for. I didn't buy it. Uh, I read it. And it's a great book. So, uh and kind of a good idea, but they started to make it money using their past glory, you know. And this was just another, you know, step towards the reunion that I dreaded, you know. Yeah, I, I guess with history, the writing's on the wall. I mean, we're into 1995 now. So, you know, early in the year, they do a, a proper electric tour of Japan. Um, yeah. You know, while they're while they're there, they were scheduled to do a convention. However, it never happened. So the first convention was supposed to be in Japan. Um, f they go from Japan to 
Actually, uh, I just want to cover something quickly in Japan. Uh, the Kobe earthquake, of course, happens around this yeah. time. So they actually do a recording for, um, I think it was Dial Q2, some relief, and re-record um, Strutter and, was it Rock Bottom? That would well, says, was that ever released, Rock Bottom? I don't know, but right now I'm just going to play a little bit of Strutter 95. Yeah. You know, this is just them on a stage, sound check quality. Uh, so here's Strutter 95. All right, that's Strutter95. If anyone's got one of the promo cassettes for sale, email me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I thought it was really cool that they did that. Um, and here in 95, you've got some of the most powerful performances and videos. I mean, it really tops off the air in so many ways. I think it's the 95 shows in Japan. The videos are just stunning performances. Uh, I mean, it, it's still revenge in essence. Um but you you really hit the high point. And then they hit Australia, and they're mixing up electric and acoustic shows. So the conventions are born in Australia. Um, and now we're into full nostalgia mode. I mean, you, you've, the convention tour is, you know, museum, Q&A, fill the time. I mean, uh, Mike and the gang talked about it a little bit um, on three sides uh, about the format and everything that they were doing, you know, engaging fans um, to... But it's the acoustic sets, obviously. And people are calling out for really deep cuts that, you know, th this whole year culminates in MTV Unplugged and the reunion with Ace and Peter. But um, conventions, Lonnie and Ken, you know, American guys, did you see the conventions? Obviously, I'm in the wrong bloody country again, so I don't get to, to see any of this. I saw the convention. Uh, I remember getting a postcard in the mail. I, I, I guess I was on their mailing list from maybe ordering the history book or something, but it, it said convention tour, these cities and so on. And uh, I did get out, bought a ticket. I think it was $100 mm -hmm. for that, mm -hmm. right? And uh, that was in San Francisco. And I remember taking my camera there. I had an old, like, 1970 eight millimeter camera with me. So I was filming, uh, everything while I was in there. I, I was filming the, uh, all the merchant, you know, the, the costumes that were in the cases and with the makeup on and, and the drum set, Peter's old drum set, the, the artwork for, was it destroyer love gun? Um, and, uh, and so on all the different things. Um, it was very cool being close up to that stuff and, and, just look to kind of staring at these little things, nuances to the costumes and things like that. And others, other, the guitars, the, the uh, guitars were there. That was very cool. Then they had the tribute band playing at the time. They had, while we were walking around looking at things, there's a tribute band, Kiss tribute band, and maybe another band playing. They played the loud music of Kiss over the speakers too, when that wasn't happening. I remember then, it was time for the acoustic show and my camera, the battery ran out. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real old battery and there's no backup battery and there's no really, I didn't, 
I think I didn't have the plug to charge it back up. And so I, I could have recorded some of the <laughs> unplugged performance, but it didn't work out. But at least I got to see it. Uh, it was great. People, you know, suggesting, you know, play, you know, so-and-so song, you know, these off-the-wall elder songs or whatever it may be. Um, it was very cool uh, atmosphere. It wasn't overly crowded, I guess, there's a limited amount of tickets. I know it sold out to whatever it was. Yeah, I think I think they limited each show to a thousand tickets at a hundred bucks a pop. So, you know, hundred thousand gross. You know. Yeah, yeah. So then after that, at the after they did their acoustic performance, which was cool, hearing snippets of certain songs uh, acoustic, they had a they sat at a table and uh, you could get your something autographed after that. Wait in line to do that. So and they had the history book there for sale also. I remember, and uh, some other merchants. I think I bought a, 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 a T-shirt of the first album cover um, at that mm-hmm. at that uh, show. But uh, it was very cool. I, I enjoyed that one very much. So I'm looking at the set list to San Francisco. I mean, it's obvious that they'd rehearsed a core of songs, but they really weren't afraid to try anything on this tour and get it wrong, and and not yeah. even be able to get a couple of bars into it. They from all the recordings I heard, and then when, back in Britain, I was just really enjoying collecting unplugged shows, um, you know, 96, 97. And, you know, Coming Home, Plaster Caster, Take Me, A World Without Heroes. I mean, there you get three that end up on MTV Unplugged, and this is just the third U.S. convention. Hard Luck Woman, fantastic. Sure Knows Something, fantastic. I mean, I just love the stuff that they try, and apparently they did all the way, you know, or tried all the way, goodbye, acrobat, goodbye. Mm-hmm. you know, so nothing was really, um, you know, forbidden, you know, they went for it, and as the tour goes on, and we get close to MTV Unplugged, I mean, obviously it narrows down what is comfortable, um, but you you just, I, I guess you kind of start seeing it, you know, where they're going, I mean, now they're in full-on nostalgia mode, Daniel, what did you think of convention era? As I've said previously, I didn't like the nostalgia, you know, path they were taking. Uh, so uh, I was waiting for Carnival of Souls, and then they decided to do this thing. But again, what could they do? They couldn't tour. If they released a, an album, it wouldn't sell. So hey, let's do some conventions and uh, talk about uh, times when we were a great big band. So uh, I understand why they did it, and the performances and shows are great and. I really enjoy watching them, but uh, at the time I was kind of disappointed, you know. You know that thing when you wait for the next Kiss album, the feel that, ooh, revenge, and now the next one will be even better. And then what the heck are they starting to do now? Kiss my ass? Kiss my ass the video? Talk about times when I wasn't even into the band? And then this uh, unplugged thing with old costumes and things. So uh, personally, I, I didn't like that they did it but in hindsight i i can appreciate it it's a really cool tour but i was i loved the japan and australian live shows more than the convention conventions uh and, and there was you know the tokyo show the recording of that show is phenomenal and um, i listen to that still to this day actually on the way over here to work i listen to it in my car and it still rocks 
Yeah, without without doubt. And I mean, I, I misspoke when I said San Francisco was the third. It was actually the second. There was a radio performance, I think, the day before that I, I counted. But L.A., right from the start, Peter Chris is guest. You know, so it, it's not just nostalgia. It's obviously, you know, they're feeling things out from a very early stage. Lonnie, what did you think about Unplugged and that, that I guess, the convention era? Um, I did not. The uh, convention tour came to St. Louis, my hometown, and I did not go. Um, like Ken was saying, it was $100 to go. And again, going back to going back to uh, Russians are coming. <laughs> Wait for the police to come bursting through the door. <laughs> um, I mean, $100 at 15 years old was a lot of money, but I was willing to put it up, and I was willing to go. But at the time, in 95, KISS was not popular. And to convince even one of my brothers or some of my friends to put up $100 and go was, was impossible. Nobody was willing to do it. I'm like talking in fragments here. So. <laughs> <laughs> In, 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 in a minute, you're going to see Daniel fighting with police in the doorway and, you know, getting tasered. <laughs> but I couldn't convince one of my brothers or I couldn't convince any of my friends or anybody to go with me. And I was, I wanted to go, but you know, I was 15. I couldn't even drive there at the time to even go by myself. Not that my mom and dad would have let me go on by myself, but I couldn't go and it, it broke my heart again. It was the second time I was going to miss the band. Um, but they played a, um, they played on the radio station the next day. They played, um, hotter than hell on the radio the next day. They made like a, a guest appearance. And I remember I was working at a golf course at the time and I heard him play hotter than hell on the radio the next day. And it was, it was I wish I would have had a cassette player and hit a record button on that. Yeah, that was Casey. They also did Hard Luck Woman. Exactly. I mean, you're looking at Kiss Alive forever. You're cheating. No, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the Kiss FAQ archive. Oh, oh, oh he's plugging himself. <laughs> Again. But um, they played Hotter Than Hell that day, and I was, oh, I, was, I was just kicking myself still for missing it. Um, and, you know, to put it in perspective that, that they were char- to put it in perspective that they were charging a hundred dollars to go to those Kiss conventions. My ticket stub for Alive Worldwide the next year was like thirty five dollars to see them on Alive Worldwide. That's how much a hundred dollars really was. I mean, it was a lot of money to put up to go see that, and I could not convince my brothers or any of my 15, 16 year old friends at the time. Let's go do this because, like. One, because I don't want to spend the money. Two, because I don't want to go see Kiss. Who cares about Kiss at the time? So I really missed out on that. And um, Maybe jumping ahead here that I remember that scene. I was with my girlfriend at the time right before. I, and I, I didn't even know that they played MTV Unplugged in August. Because you're really in the dawn of the internet age um, in summer of 95. I didn't know they even had even played played it and I remember that it was going to air on Halloween night on on MTV and I remember seeing the commercial for it and I was like oh wow Kiss is going to be on MTV Unplugged Halloween night that's going to be great I can't wait to watch it and, and people are we were, I was with her and a group of our friends are like 
you're gonna you're you're excited about watching Kiss on. They're old. They're old. Why are you, you're gonna watch Kiss on Halloween night? And I was like, yeah. All right. <laughs> I miss I missed out on the convention tour and and I and I and I. I, I don't have anyone that I, I can't blame me stealing caps off a car for it, but I, it was a ticket price that I missed out on. It sucks. You know, I've never heard anyone say that the convention tour sucked, you know? No. Ev- <laughs> everything I've heard from any fan who's talked about going to it, and obviously I'm in Scotland, so I didn't get to go to it, um, have, have just sung the praises of, you know, there may have been some dead periods during the day, but the band really, it sounds like they really tried to fill up that time. And, you know, all the recordings just sound really fun. You know, Those are some of my favorite things to go back and listen to, is, like, all the bootlegs of, of the convention tour. Those are just great listens still, just to hear them fooling around and, and playing around with songs, even if it's a few bars of certain songs. Those are those are just really fun recordings to go back and listen to. And there's some... Gr- just having a great time. There's some great video to collect in this period, too. I mean, uh, obviously, for the MTV stuff, there's the multiple DVDs of the rehearsals, which, are, you know, that's a little bit like watching paint dry at times. But you've got Late Night with Conan and Brian was a national appearance. They did a couple of songs on there. And then the Canadians got them onto Much Music, I think, uh, in Toronto for a mini set there that they performed. So... There's some cool stuff. There's also, obviously, the MTV Unplugged video. And that, to this day, it remains one of my favorite videos and albums that the band have released. I just really love the performances on there. Um, You know, forget about the reunion for a minute, um, but Paul Stanley on I Still Love You and Every Time I Look at You, you know, just blows the roof off. I mean... It is just unbelievable. Gene is strong as well. I mean, I love hearing Plastercaster. It's just off the wall. It, you know, it's not a, a song I particularly like, but just hearing that. And he kills A World Without Heroes. I mean, the songs that they chose for a, for a single album, you know, because it's kind of short, you know, just brilliant. I love it. Daniel. Uh, sorry, I had to run. The alarm went off. I don't know if you heard it. The alarm started <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay. Everybody. Okay. Uh, what, what, where were we? The conventions, the unplugged uh, album, or what? We're we're now into conventions and unplugged. Uh, the yeah. the MTV unplugged album, I guess, and video. Yeah, the unplugged video is great, and it's great to have as a you know like a memory from that period when the band was maybe at their height musically. You know, uh, they sounded tight until those other guys came at the end. But before that, it sounded great, and uh, I love the way they play the song. And as you said, Paul Stanley's vocals, man, do you, do I miss those vocals. Oh, he sounded great. Um, Gene Simmons as well. And I think the set list was kind of cool and fun, and songs they really didn't hadn't played a lot uh, in previous years. Yeah, I mean, sure knows something. God, I mean, yeah, getting well, getting that out on an album, See You Tonight by Gene, I mean, yeah. damn, damn. Coming Home, Coming Home, they just breathed new life into that song. I mean, before that, I could hardly tell you how many times you've listened to Coming Home off of Hotter Than Hell just because of hot, just the way Hotter Than Hell is mixed. And hearing them start off with Coming Home that night when, it was, when I watched it on MTV, it's like, oh my God. 
God, that sounds incredible. I mean, it, I mean, it, 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 it sounded fresh even. It just sounded new and fresh. And it, that, that whole performance is just is, is one of my favorites from start to, fi- from start to finish. It's, it's, you know, like you guys saying, sure know something. And even Do You Love Me just sounds great. The band, the harmonies on that are really nice. And the band just sounds, as like Daniel was saying, they sound as tight as they ever have on that performance so i mean that was one i was on the internet by then so i knew it was coming out i was in kiss army online on aol uh by that time and it, it was really easy. I, that was the first time i was really excited to go out and buy again i mean i went out and got that day it came out in scotland so um you know even to this day i will listen to this out i i prefer to listen to the uncut version the bootleg with the multiple takes and the and the banter um but you know, just perfect, Ken. Yeah, I saw it on uh, Halloween. I remember uh, pushing the record button on my VHS right when it started, and uh, because I knew I was gonna have to get off of my butt and go to the front door and hand out candy to to kids, <laughs> so I was gonna, I had to record that thing. Um, but it was, it was great. Um, the the standout songs for me were uh, yeah, every time I look at you. Um, that kills, and that's so much better than the uh, Revenge version, as far as I'm concerned. Um, other things on there, uh, like, jeez, um, what, what was the other one? Uh, oh, yeah, the Sure Knows Something. Yeah. Um, we used to, there was a thing we used to do at work, at another company I used to work at. They used to have this uh, kind of thing to for stretching you know because everyone's sitting out there in front of their computers all day and that sort of thing they had this stretch break thing and we'd go to the conference room and you could bring in videos and we would stretch to certain you know video music videos and things someone stretching the kiss someone would bring james taylor <laughs> yeah exactly and and i had brought in i queued up uh i had queued up sure know something and we played i remember doing that and people enjoyed it and uh, they're like, oh, that, who's that? I said, well, that's Kiss. You know, and they're like, oh, they, they they don't have the makeup anymore. They're still around. <laughs> it's like, well, they they haven't been the makeup in fifteen <laughs> years or whatever. You know, um, so uh, but it was a a good time. Uh, I think one of my favorites on that would have been uh, Going Blind, though. Yeah. Going Blind, I love that. It, it unplugged. It's just perfect. See how hard it is to find anything negative to say about MTV Unplugged, but I, I, I think the only negative thing for me is I knew that the reunion was happening, so um, that this was kind of the, coming to the end of the the Bruce and Eric lineup. Um, so it was, you just knew it was going to happen at this point. Um, all the rumors then started circulating. And obviously, Kiss goes into the studio in December 95 with Toby Wright to record a follow-up to Revenge, finally. I mean, in, in Kistry, we're teased with some of the artwork, I believe, um, that was never used, but some proposed yeah. artwork. Um, Carnival of Souls, you know, that, that's kind of the end of this topic, is the end of that lineup, the final sessions. So I traded some stupid vinyl um, over the value to someone in America to get a bootleg of Carnival of Souls. And I I don't know what I think about this album. I still don't know what I think about it. It's kind of like hotter than hell in its sludgy production. 
there's some good songs on the album, but I'm just not sure. And you don't really, for me, you don't get to hear Bruce's guitar work. And this is Bruce's album. He's just so front and center on it. All that guitar, but it's not as crystal clear. It's not as good as um, Revenge sounds. What do you guys think of Carnival of Souls? Lonnie? It doesn't have the sound that Revenge has. and But I, I was waiting for Carnival of Souls since Revenge came out. And, you know, I remember reading the interviews in Hit Parader and Metal Edge about, you know, we're going to go back in this... When Kiss was doing the convention tour, that, well, we're going to do go back in the studio, we're going to do a follow-up to Revenge. And it's going to be, it's going to pick up where Revenge left off, is what they kept saying. And I was like, yeah can't wait that's that's what i that's what i've been waiting for since 92 it's like, yeah pick up a revenge left off and i i before i got a bootleg of it i remember reading in strike fanzine magazine like i had like a a listing of track by track by track of like what each song sounded like because some like the guys running that had already had a copy of it and you know so i had like a track list and i knew what the song sounded like there i was like oh i can't wait and i finally came across it at a local record store um, and got it and put it in. And Hate picks up, to me, especially putting that in and listening to Hate, picked up where Revenge left off. A Gene song to open the album, a mean Gene song, mean Gene, angry angry Gene song to open the album. Uh, It... That song did it for me and hooked me into the album. Um, I, I, I really liked that. I really liked Master and Slave. I thought it was it's it's catchy. Um, had a, had a nice hook to it. Um, I I really enjoyed it and I wore the crap out of that CD of, of that bootleg before the um, before I got the actual copy. But and and. My actual cop, my bootleg doesn't sound a whole whole lot different than the actual version itself, and so I think there's other. I don't know. If I've, I saw Bruce at an expo, and he said like there's some really bad copies of it out there. That he said he'd be autographing. He somebody would bring him a bootleg of Carnival of Souls. Say here, can you autograph this for me? He's like, oh, I know it sounds like crap on here. And like, oh, I hate to even <laughs> sign it. <laughs> But um, it, it's definitely Bruce Kulick's album, and you can, you know, knowing knowing what was going on in December of '95 and they're recording it, that Gene and Paul's absence is really you can kind of see that it's really apparent that they were not they didn't have a whole lot of input. They and and Bruce has said too that he was kind of left with the reins, like like what's going on here? You know, it's not the way we record Kiss albums. Um, but is it a? Is it? Does it pick up a revenge left off? Well, not exactly. Pick up a revenge left off. It really kind of misses the mark for me. I, I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong, because it's one of my favorite eras with Bruce and and, and Eric and the band. Um, but the sound isn't the same as Revenge. And you guys say you may not like the songs on Revenge, but you guys all agree you love the sound on Revenge. Definitely. And it does yeah. not have the, that revenge crunch and that revenge just oh. attitude. It's missing. So, Dan, you'd been waiting years for a follow-up to Revenge, yeah. and you're you eventually in '97 given Carnival of Souls. What did you think? Well, I remember watching, you know, the Kiss My Ass video 
Gene at the end of the video, I think he shows the 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 cover of the next album. You know, the right. flaming hat. And I was like, whoa, my God, this is going to be something heavy, cool. And the next step, as Lorna said, you know, the follow-up to Revenge. I was thinking like a sister album to Revenge, much like, you know, Lick It Up, uh, Animalize, Asylum. They're kind of similar, you know. Then they lost track with the Crazy Nights and to some extent Hot in the Shade, but a sister album to Revenge. And just as Lorna said, putting on the, well, I also got the uh, bootleg, of course, um, and listening to the first song, I felt, well, this is kind of like the same opening like that Revenge had, you know, a heavy Gene song. Um, I thought the drum pattern was kind of strange, but other than that, uh, I think th I thought this can be something really cool. But then the my main um, the main thing that I didn't like was the the lyrics kind of was it wasn't Kiss it was like another band you know Paul singing about looking in the mirror every line's getting clearer or being depressed sort of. It didn't do anything for me. I wanted, you know, like, um, maybe heavy songs, but still, you know, uh, these kind of sing about evil or uh, sing about uh, believing in yourself or something. But the lyrics to most of those songs I couldn't relate to. And uh, uh, even though there are some moments like Master and Slave and uh, Jungle uh, could be great songs, it really didn't feel like Kiss to me. Uh, I couldn't really like find, you know, I didn't really like that album. So uh, and that was the end for me when it comes to Kiss. And I, I, you know, I wasn't in the Kiss army for quite some time after that because I was so disappointed. And then the whole reunion era when they b became a nostalgia act didn't do it for me. So it wasn't really until maybe Sonic Boom that I reconnected. So I had an off period there. Yeah, that, that's a long wait. Ken, what did you think? Um, yeah, well, first I'd like to say that Daniel was wrong. It was a, <laughs> a, no, it was a sister album. It, was, it did have a sister album, Alice in Chains. Oh, yeah, yeah true. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a sister album to that. But a much um, better album. <laughs> um, I know they went in... Kiss went in looking to they they told them basically that we want to make an Alice in Chains album or a grunge album. This is what we want to do. So they're they're following the trends again, um, uh, what is popular at the time instead of just going with their gut, right? Um, but uh, like Lonnie, I was hoping that hey, this is going to be the continuation to Revenge, and uh, I had thought, well, geez, it's going to be better than Revenge, but no, it's not better than Revenge. It's totally different. It's all a lot of downer music. It's not the uplifting music that they normally do, you know. Um, though it has some, I won't lie, it has great songs on it here and there. You know, there's there's really great moments on it, like Jungle um, and a few others. So, even the the, the uh, acoustic song that you know Paul did uh, about his son um, was you know it was a great song, really well written song, but it was not the the right direction. It was just I I don't know what they were really thinking there. Um, I 
don't know. Uh, I remember picking it up. I remember, well, actually, I remember uh, get, it was leaked, and I, I downloaded and I heard the songs first. Um, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to get used to it. This is a little different, but uh, maybe it's the recording, the sound, you know, uh, is is because of the download or it's a bad copy or something like that, which it could have been anyway. Uh, but I remember going picking it up on the first day at the record store, and they were actually playing that in the record store, surprisingly enough, that day. Um, but I picked it up, and, you know, I played it over and over to try to get a good feel of it, because sometimes you need a few times to listen to things, right? And uh, certain things stuck out were really good, and every now I, I pull it out every now and then. There's some good stuff on there. Um, I know Toby Wright said he'd like to redo that. Uh, I heard in one of those other interviews he'd like to, re, I think, remix it. Um, he doesn't even like it himself, I don't think, fully. Yeah, he recently did, uh, I think it was Decibel Geek, the podcast, and did an extremely in-depth uh, interview with him about the album. So, I mean, go out and check that podcast out um, because you'll get everything you need to know about the album and its construction from the guy who was there. And and I think the first thing that was said, that they came in and said, we want to make a, a grunge album, which then begs the question, well, why are you using people like Scott Van Zandt, uh, Tommy Thayer, Jamie St. James to co-write your grunge album. Why aren't you finding people like Jerry Cantrell um, or people in Soundgarden or Pearl Jam um, who'll talk to you and maybe, you know, uh, were influenced by you to take your songs. You know, Paul, write a, write a song. Okay, now give it to Jerry to work on. So for me, it's like if you're going to write a grunge album, well, why wouldn't you get people who are grungy to help you with it you know it, it's kiss trying to imitate a genre for which they're completely unable to really um you know line up with you know these are middle-aged guys at this point so you know jungle jungle was better when deep purple recorded it you know um you know you fool you fool no one uh, that whole bass riff is just deep purple through and through so that's not very very grungy um the album, I mean, I, I played it to death, and I thought I liked it at the time. I can't really even listen to it these days. I like Master and Slave. You know, Jungle's a good song. Uh, Gene's stuff on this is actually, he's better at writing the dark material, and, you know, some of it's shit, like hate, is just stupid. Um, I mean, that doesn't do a thing for me. But Seduction of the Innocent, I confess, those are two, for me, really good songs and Childhood's End. Paul's stuff, I'm sorry, Paul. I want Star Child rock and roll anthems celebrating life and, you know, not, you think it's going to rain, I think it's going to rain, rain down on me, rain down, you know, I'm in, I'm in Glasgow at the time, I don't want to freaking hear about rain, all right, we, we, we know all about rain, um, I don't want to look in the mirror either, and, you know, here I am on video, you know why, you know, all those, you know, Paul stuff, you know, it, it just does not work, Bruce's stuff does not work. I walk alone. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it's it's why you stick to guitar. Um, you know, I give him props for trying, and he he's continued to work on his vocals over his solo career, and I think he's gotten better. Um, you know, but I walk alone. I couldn't stand um, in my head. Just stupid. You know, nest of termites. Okay. You know, we're, we're we're just trying a little too hard to be something that we're not here. And, you know, as of 2012, it sold 180,000 copies in America. So you fail. 
But and Kiss was at their height of popularity when that came out, and it only sold like it did too. Even think about that. I mean, they just came off the reunion tour when it finally gets released, and they tried to create. They did like a little bit of a, like a radio tour for yeah. it to try to create some buzz about it, but it was just not received at all. And well, coming off of how big they were at the time, you you would have thought they would have at least sparked a little bit of interest to try to. I mean, you, you would think some people who just went and saw him on tour just for the hell of it would have went out and bought a new Kiss album, even though it wasn't Ace and Peter at the time. That Well, it's a new Kiss product. I really saw him on the last tour. I'm really kind of getting back into him. And it just, nobody bought it. It did do well. I mean, Jungle did well on the radio. Very well. So I, I can understand it not selling well that everyone had already downloaded it or bought bootlegs and didn't see any point in buying another one. Um, and it did very well in Norway and Sweden. Daniel. Daniel. <laughs> 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 Daniel's well over here. No, no uh, I don't, I don't, well, there were no radio play of Colonel Dozier, uh, really, to speak about. And uh, But I don't think they pushed that album at all. That, that little radio tour they did in America wasn't much. Uh, the only thing I remember from that one is Paul had a strange hat when he was on that tour. It looked like an old man. And they talk a little bit about it. and the cover is like, couldn't they? Why didn't they even use the cover? They they had, you know, it was kind of cool, you know, the head. They could have done something with that, and the zipper had on the back. Now they had a, like a rehearsal photo, and Bruce had a beard, and they looked kind of, you know, I guess they look kind of grungy on that album. Yeah, I mean, they still uh, they still look like Revenge, really, if you think it. It's it's not really any any drastic change apart from no 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 maybe not Bruce looks like but he's uh, back in the seventies you know sixty nine maybe uh, he's uh, well uh, but but to me that album was a big fail unfortunately it could have been so much more it was close but they kind of overdid it you know so uh, the 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 songs that are kind of good could be a lot better. You know, Master and Slave, if they redid that a little bit, twitched it a little bit, uh, you know, it could be a great, awesome tune. Uh, and the snare drum in that on that album is <laughs> almost as bad as that Metallica album. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost. Yeah, which is a so shame because, you know, again, just like Revenge, um, I think Bruce's guitar work is absolutely stunning, but you don't yeah. really get to hear it. Ken, kind of thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it doesn't stand out like it did on Revenge. No. Um, no, it, it just, it's great. You can tell. I mean, if I really listen to it closely, he's ripping again. Um, uh, but it's it's not the same uh, as, I think he has to change his guitar style a little bit since it is grunge so he's he's doing it a little bit differently than he did on revenge but uh the sound it's just the way it's mixed i mean you know it's just not that crunch like lonnie said of revenge and that would have been the way to go i think it would have been a lot better had it sounded that way so if toby wants to remix it i think that makes about as much sense as bob ezrin remixing uh destroyer no point there's just no market for it hmm. You might sell sell ten copies. So let as we wrap this episode up, let's just you know quickly go through. Had Kiss done a Carnival of Souls tour, what song would you have liked to have heard performed live from this album, um, Lonnie? 
I think hate would have sounded really cool live. I, I maybe it would have missed the mark a little bit. Like un, unholy maybe doesn't work as well live as it should, or well as you would think it would. Um, it kind of concerns me that that maybe hate would fall under the same category that maybe it wouldn't come across as well live as un, like unholy kind of does. But I, I would have liked to have them hear them attempt to do that and. Maybe that's something they'll do on like uh, the Kiss Cruise that they're gonna do like the live without the makeup on the Sail Away show. Maybe they'll throw in something off a of Carnival and so- of Souls. That'd be unique. It'd be you know different. Maybe maybe it won't be as well received, but I think it'd be kind of di- different. You know that, he, that would be awesome. Would actually, very good idea. So Kiss, hope you're listening. You know, uh, re- re- rehearse, <laughs> rehearse up. Hey, rehearse up a Carnival of Souls songs for the Electric Cruise. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be It'd be, it'd be awesome. It'd be, it'd, be, you know, it'd be great. But it'd have to be a Gene song, you know. Yeah, definitely. Do hate them. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel, would you yeah, want? I, would you I, want to hear anything off this live? Well, one of the Gene songs then, and I hate. I think I, I agree with Lonnie. It's the best tune. But I'm also afraid. You know, I was so disappointed when I heard Unholy for the first time live. I don't know. They couldn't capture the way it sounded in the studio. So um, maybe hate if you would do a well with Paul Stanley. You know, we can't do his songs anymore. But if they would have done a tour back in ninety, whatever six seven, uh, uh, Master of Slave, I'd love to hear with him doing the screams and all that. That that would be a cool tune. Can. If they would have done a tour and used used one of the songs, um, <laughs> I mean, I would have wanted to hear Jungle live, but I don't think they could have <laughs> made it sound like it does on the on the record. This record doesn't really sound like any other Kiss material, and it doesn't really fit in um, to I don't think a set list for a regular concert tour. So I'm gonna say. Um, Zero songs. Yeah, but Union and e- <laughs> Union and ESP have performed these live, so yeah. you know, some of the yeah, tracks mm-hmm. and oh, done yeah. and done very good, good uh, you know versions of them, you know, especially Union. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say I confess, you know, just because I think it's got the anger gene. I think they could nail that. And uh, I was looking through the the, uh, the the credits here and saying, well, Tommy's in the band now. Maybe they should do the Gene and Tommy song. But no, Childhood's <laughs> End wouldn't work at all. So I confess, I think that would work. And I also agree yeah. with, with Hate. You know, both are very performable. But, you know, is that just a little bit too deep for the band to go? Who knows? So we'll see if they listen. Hopefully hopefully they can do something special for the cruise. Um, you know, get get that special quotient back up because, you know, in the last couple they've kind of gone down, you know, get a few more jeans songs in there, you know, and this would be great to, you know, be able to cross one off and say, Hey, we performed a song from Carnival of Souls. You know, it gets them out of maybe people shut up about the elder if they do something off cause. So let's, let's wrap up this episode because uh, we're coming up to two hours here. 1991 to 1995. Um, last thoughts on the era, guys, and Ken, I'll start with you. It was a good period. I mean, uh, I enjoyed it, even though they went in kind of drastic directions. Uh, they started going into the n- nostalgia uh, period uh, more and more as they went along, but uh, 
for me it was it was music i mean it's always the music with kiss uh, that's what i always looking for I'm, I'm looking for the next new album like right now i i i'd love them to do a new one though i don't know if paul could you know i don't know if they can really do it anymore with paul's vocals um but you know there's auto tune <laughs> um but uh you know um it's always about the music night that period was good i saw i i got to see a lot of things um very cool things during that time period so it was it was good you were in the right place yeah i was lucky yeah I, you know it's good to be lucky sometimes yep lonnie thoughts on the era it's one of my favorite eras, um, and I've talked about it time and time again on here, that I, and it just fits in with my demographic, with my age group, and it just hooked me into the band, and, you know, just really loved Revenge and the time period after that, and I remember when I bought MTV Unplugged, it had a sticker on it that said, Kiss the Reunion, and a part of me was excited because, one, I, was, I knew if they toured, I finally get to see the band after the missed opportunities that I had during this period. But another part of me was sad about it too, because I wanted to see this version of the band and I never got to see that revenge lineup version of the band that I wanted to see desperately. Um, But it's one of my favorite eras to go back. It's one of my favorite eras to go back and listen to. Um, like those revenge club shows and just the revenge tour in general and the convention tour to listen to, to those um, bootleg videos. It's, it, it may, it may be my favorite era to go back and listen to because there's a lot of really cool stuff and really great sounding stuff that Heather's the band really never sounded tighter in my opinion than they did from 92 to 95. Daniel, final thoughts. Well, I have to agree with what the other guy said, of course. Uh, to me, this was almost the end of KISS for me, because I always I always liked that they were like a current band. They tried to fit in. They tried to stay, you know, uh, current. Uh, and during this period, they were great live. And as long as I said, the bootlegs from this era is just, like, fantastic and Still, I still enjoy those. Uh, uh, and I remember watching Kiss in 96. As 96, as, as Lana said, I was waiting to see the Eric Singer, Bruce Kulick lineup, but I didn't, uh, I wasn't able to do that. But when they came over to Sweden in 96 and 97, I saw them. And I remember going to the bathroom during Peter Chris drum solo and thinking, man, oh man, if it only had been Eric Singer up there. And I wasn't the only one going to the bathroom during that sort of people looked at each other and like, what is he doing? So I understand they had they had to do the reunion in order to, you know, keep afloat, but uh they the band you know, it was the end for the band in terms of a band. Then they became a company or something else. So too bad. Yeah, I, I'll agree with a lot of the sentiments. I mean, here we here we are, but I mean, the sales figures for Revenge and Alive 3 really point to them being in that, at the end of their commercial viability by that time. I mean, Revenge is only 
sold just over 600,000 copies in America. I mean, that's uh, 2012 figures, so it might be up to 605 by now, but, you know, not a whole lot. Alive 3, you know, less than that. Kiss My Ass, even less. MTV, even less. I mean, obviously, the industry has declined as well, but Kiss's sales totally dropped off completely at this time, but it's such a wonderful period. I mean, all the bootlegs, there are some stunning recordings from the club tour, from the British tour of 92. Um, I mean, my favorites, obviously, I, I, I've sung the praises of Santiago 94, um, yeah. you know, and, and I think another one of the uh, Argentine, one of the Argentine shows was professionally filmed as well, and they are just powerful. You know, Japan 95, extremely powerful. All the unplugged stuff to go through, it, it's such an exciting period, even though it's kind of the end of the band as a creative and commercial you know, force. I mean, that's not to denigrate Monster and Sonic Boom, but those are just totally different. Um, you know, Paul still got 100% of his vocals. I mean, he had a rough patch in the early 90s, but, um, you know, what an exciting period. So, you know, go on YouTube, people. There is so much, if you don't have these in your collection, there's some fantastic video, fantastic audio. There's, there's not a lot in the demo realm, um, you know, to, to make it out into circles yet, which is a shame. And hopefully Gene's stuff, I'd love to hear a lot of the stuff he was writing at the time. I mean, Brain Keeps Falling gets recycled. Everybody Knows gets recycled for different things. So he was writing with Jesse Damon at the time, um, doing a lot of interesting stuff. Paul, I mean, he collaborated with, uh, who's it, Janny Lane. So he, he had some interesting stuff going on. So musically, you know, it's mostly live video and audio, but fun stuff, convention. So that's our 1990 show, everyone. We, uh, we thank you all for spending time with us. Uh, hope you've enjoyed this nostalgic look back on an era before the nostalgia kicked in. <laughs> And Daniel's alarm managed to not get him arrested. Mm. Was that fire or burglar? Uh, I'm not sure. I, just <laughs> I, I, I hope I'm alone. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we haven't seen anyone in the background uh, wearing a police uniform, so you should be okay. All right, Ken, Hi. Daniel, and Lonnie, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, and we'll see you all again. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Bye, Bye now.